0: This week, our guest is an incredible treat. There are very few people who have had not only the opportunity, but also the physical and mental capacity to climb the highest peak on each of the planet's seven continents, known as the Seven Summits. And yet I am lucky enough to share with you today a magnificent human who has done just that. An Irishman who has resided in more countries than most have traveled to. He is the president and CEO of Inside Us, a boutique executive coaching consultancy. He's a renowned keynote speaker on the power of vulnerability and authenticity. Among many others, he's been interviewed by Anderson Cooper for his expertise as a mountaineer. And finally, the focus of our conversation today... He is a remarkable author, having gifted us his account of his harrowing experiences on his seventh and final peak of the seven summits, Mount Everest. Entitled Naked at the Knife Edge, today's guest reveals not only the immense, and I mean immense, physical challenges that come with summiting the highest peak in the world at 29,000 feet, But most importantly, in my humble opinion, he shares with incredible vulnerability the challenges he faced in his inner world that led to an awakening of what real purpose and legacy actually is. And because of that honesty, we are all enriched for the better. So without further ado... Here is Vivian James Rigney. Hello, Vivian. Hi, Jesse. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well, and thanks for the opportunity to to meet you and and to be part of this.
0: Yes, absolutely. Um, As I mentioned to you before in our little quick little pre-chat for this call, I wanted my listeners to know also that um, I purposefully finished your book this morning before our conversation because I wanted it to be really fresh. I had started it, if, you know, if maybe like a week ago and uh, it was so moving and so thrilling that I thought, oh man, it, it was, it was an amazing experience of every, every time I opened it, I'd have to wait for my mind to settle a little bit. And then as soon as it did, I was absolutely on the mountain with you. This book is really riveting. You've done such a great job of, of kind of of describing the environment to us, of your of the external environment as well as the internal environment. And um, I, I just I am really honored to have you on because it is it's it's a really powerful book that I cannot, stress enough for people to pick it up and read because it's so moving for so many reasons. So thank you so much for taking the time to join me.
1: Thank you. you. I'm I'm humbled. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that's hilarious that you could say you're humbled by my compliment, considering what you've done. (laughs) (laughs)
1: You write a book; you never know how it's going to turn out, right? So it's good to hear when people uh, it connects with people because it. I wrote it from from the heart, and 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 um, it meant something when I wrote it, and and it's nice to hear that connected. That's the greatest compliment I can receive, of
0: course. Yeah, absolutely. Really quickly, before I jump in, can you let us let my listeners know what do you what do you do? You're not a professional climber, ironically enough, considering all the climbing you have done uh, so can you share can you share just really quickly what you do in life?
1: Correct. so uh, my day job is I work as an executive coach uh, that means I work with um, executive leaders for the most part and help them with their emotional intelligence. And how to lead, how to be thoughtful, really, how to be much more aware and more present and more effective in what they do. So these are all very smart, accomplished, hardworking people, but lonely people, as it were, because they have big jobs and they're quite, quite careful or very careful of of how open they are with people, what they can share, what they don't share. So they tend to burn a lot of energy and and overthink a lot. And I help them to I help to lighten all that up. And help them be more present and, and be comfortable with vulnerability, and using that as a strength to be authentic. So, if the net result is uh, is authenticity, uh, that's our goal, and that's my that's my endeavor. That's what I try and do in getting them there.
0: Wow! And were you doing that before you were uh, climbing all of these? Because I we're obviously the subject of today's yeah. conversation is your book that you have released, but, um, and it's all around Everest, but you have climbed all the highest peaks around the world. So were you doing this coaching with that, with that focus before?
1: Um, I was doing, I, I mean, I started this thing when I was much younger, I was in my, my mid twenties and I went to do Kilimanjaro and I heard about the seven summits in Kilimanjaro, the highest peak on each of the seven continents. And, uh, and so began this journey of, isn't that a great way to see the world? I always thought I'd never do Evers because I was always for the professionals and people way beyond my pay grade. And I started slowly started ticking, going through and, and knocking them off a list and, and discovering, going to different parts of the world, you know, re- great adventures around doing that and some tricky adventures and a lot of, you know, turmoil and surprise and and uh, things you of plan for. And then I got to... To achieve six of them, and then there was only one left. And then I met a guy one day who, in Antarctica, of all places, while I was attempting the highest peak in Antarctica, who was organizing a trip to Everest. And I asked him, you know, a hundred questions. And the problem was, he answered every one of those questions really well, and and he was very humble but confident, and and was very clear and very direct in in what was involved. And I asked myself, is it me? and not wanting to do it, or is it the mountain? And my intuition told me it's, it's probably me, because uh, I had done a lot at that point. And um, that's when I made a commitment that, uh, that I would just do it. And uh, but, so I just signed the check, and, uh, and I didn't look at any video. I didn't want to read about it. I didn't want to read any books about Everest, because I've always had this huge fear of heights. And, uh, and I knew this was going to be another challenge on that journey. And um, I just got really fit and really focused. And then I left JFK Airport in New York City for, for Nepal. Uh, and then it began.
0: Wow. The long
1: journey began from there. That was just the very beginning of the beginning.
0: Yes. Yes, absolutely. So um, just to kind of bring that around to the work that you do in your daily life, is that uh, did your... Did your intention and working with people with about around authenticity and um, vulnerability? Did that develop as you experienced yourself on these all all these different hikes? And then you got really specific after Everest or during? What what? Yeah. sure a- yeah. ab-
1: absolutely because you climb a mountain, you're climbing with yourself. You have a team, of course, but you're in your head the whole time. Yes. And I found that it was uh, unnerving and and incredibly inspiring at the same time. And of course, that did feed into my work with my clients because they are people too, and we all have everests in different shapes and forms. It doesn't have to be a mountain; it could be a challenge, it could be a shock that's happened, a dream beyond we think is possible within our reach. Um, and it's the same the same playbook of how do we get out of our own way? How do we listen to ourselves? How do we trust ourselves? And and, and yeah, free ourselves up so. Yeah, the premise is the same. So it's been a very nice metaphor and real life experience for me in order to parlay it into the day job.
0: Yes. Well, you have given me the perfect bridge. So where I wanted to start, and I, for all my listeners listening, I wish you could see my book right, my copy of my book right now. I have about 5,000 tags on all the different pages. <laughs> for we will not be making it through all of it because I want to do my best of kind of parsing through the the practical challenges as well as all of your internal challenges so we'll we'll navigate this as best as we can within an hour but I want to start with the end because I really appreciate what you had to say let me see here exactly where I wanted to do this all right I'm going to read you back to you ready (laughs) right Right. (laughs) okay
1: trip down memory lane
0: yep To conquer is to live through an ego, which misses the very essence of what an experience represents, to let go and live with vulnerability and recognize the strength that this entails, to revert to childlike curiosity and openness, to ask for help and embrace the unknown and the change that comes with this, yet all the while to feel alive and recognize the strength that this way of being embodies. That is the true meaning of life and ultimately legacy. I have a bit more to go. For most of us, life can feel like an unconscious ride on a roller coaster, as if we are perched on some track that moves us along with little or no control. In fact, the reality is different. While we don't have control over some things, these are the minority. For the most part, we allow ourselves to be prisoners of our habits, our conditioning, and our emotions. In a real sense, we are racing through life blindly at what feels like the speed of light, which is the one thing most people would like to change, to have more time, to slow it down, to be able to enjoy more and to have more experiences. Yet in order to do just that, we have to change ourselves to get off the roller coaster. We need to take ownership of our awareness and become accountable to get past ourselves. It's about letting go, not taking on more. This is huge, what you say here. It's about simplifying rather than making things more complex. It's about presence of mind rather than action of mind. Wow. Wow. Okay. I've got to do a little bit more. Each morning, dawn breaks and represents a chance to reset, to unshackle the past, to reduce any busyness that serves no purpose, to not feel like you have to constantly prove yourself. At its core, it's an opportunity to be closer to who you were born to be. Move others in the process. I love this. And leave a ding on the universe. And it begins with just one first step. Wow. I got to find a question in that. I just wanted to start there because. Vinnie. Yeah.
1: Um, out of all of that, the most powerful moment I remember, I'll tell you a story. I'm an Irishman, so we're full of stories. Um, but the one thing out of that, all of all of that dump of what was in my head when I when I figured out what it meant to me was on summit day. So summit day was a 22-hour day. Um, we left the south Call and we're climbing in the dark. People are sick. People are delirious. There's challenges. We're making progress, but very slow progress. And at some point on the mountain, we. We were got up on the balcony. It's a really exposed area. It's very cold. It was pitch dark. So we just there with the stars. And the one way it's beautiful. Uh, the problem is we were there for hours on end. We weren't moving. So our feet were really cold. I was cold. And the the energy is draining out of us. And then we're getting dark thoughts about, you know, am I going to lose my toes? Will I get up? Will I get down? All of that dark stuff. And we're communicating with each other and trying to help each other, but it's not a great time, not a great place. You want to be moving all the time in Everest because it's so dangerous. And from Everest, is like this massive roller coaster. I think the book talks about that. It takes you these crazy highs and crazy lows, crazy highs, crazy lows. And the lows become very unfamiliar because never been lows like that. And yet the truth and the reality is slapping you in the face the whole time. And the most powerful one associated with that, what you read, is... When I looked out to the horizon from the depth of this dark place of questioning to seeing the dawn break. And when you see the dawn break at 8,700 meters, otherwise known as 28, almost 29,000 feet, and you see everything below you, and you have this concept that the entire world is below you, And you think of people going to their jobs, people having their showers in the morning, kids having breakfast with parents or in school, or the other side of the planet, people going to bed, and you're above everything. And there was that massive realization that every day, we have a reset, the sun rises every day, and we have an opportunity to let go of yesterday, and to have a rebirth every day. And the other piece of that paragraph goes back to the childhood, because the playfulness is associated with children. And when we are kids, we are born perfect, right? We are also born unique. And when we're told, when we're very young, we're told "You're your father's son, your mother's son, there's a lot of association with family and conditioning and expectation and all that, and then we kick in, throw in school. This is how you need to learn. This is how you need to behave. Let me throw in environmental society, all that stuff. So we have just a lot of conditioning. But we go back to when we're three, four, five, six, seven years of age, That those, those wonder years where it's just all about chaos and curiosity and wild curiosity. And as children, to be curious about everything and to be authentic about everything with no filter and the playfulness that goes with that. Um, My view is, when I was looking at this sunrise, I was thinking that we're born this way, this unique, precious, precious, you know, perfection. And that life conditions us in all that. And we spend, at some point in our life, if we're lucky, we figure out, whoa, 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 all this stuff. What is me and what is not me? What is my baggage and what is not my baggage? And, and we get spend the rest of our lives trying to get back to what we had at the beginning, which is this this lightness, this perfectionism. This sorry, this this um, it, it, perfect, perfectionism meaning be being being perfect as a child, but that that truth, that honesty, that uniqueness that we're not the product of our parents. Yes, we are, but we're a product of thousands of thousands of you put us under a microscope of DNA, and that idea that we can actually own all of that. Things may have happened to us. People may have done things to us. It doesn't mean we need to own it. It Doesn't need we need to carry it. It Doesn't need we need to be a burden to us. And that beautiful sense of childhood and the rebirth every day with the sun rising gives us enormous power uh, beyond what we imagine. And sometimes it's those super stressful times. For me, it was Everest. For other people, it's they're, they're having an accident or something traumatic happens, and they feel it, and they can touch it, and it hits them. And it's holding on to that and nurturing that, uh, but going back to the child that's within us. Uh, and, and the playfulness is such a wonderful representation of that uh, amidst the, all the influences they have around us. So that's what that was probably the biggest takeaway in writing that in writing those lines was the meaningfulness of that.
0: That's fantastic. And what you're making me think of is a lot of what I share with my listeners here on the podcast is, who we are before thought, or another way of saying it is who we are underneath our thinking. You know, it's like that, that space underneath that wisdom, that true identity, that true self of who we are before we start slapping all these different labels and ideas and conditioning on top of it and covering up that space. Um, And that's why this book to me was so powerful because it's, a physical, it's a literal representation of you breaking through that for yourself. I'm sure you'd seen glimpses of it because of your work and all of the other climbing that you had done before that, of course, you know, and your own, your own self-development work and self-awareness. But I just that is so beautifully said, Vivian, because it uh, it's um it's it's just a, it's an amazing thing when somebody breaks through those ideas of of who they're supposed to be and who they think they are and and realizing that deeper self
1: yeah. and it comes through in for example, i had a gentleman here this morning who I was working with and i he's very intense and he cares a lot and he cares too much and he's too controlling and gets into all the weeds and takes everything really seriously and he got a lot of feedback, and I said, well, "What do you think of the feedback?" He said, "Well, I mean, that's just me." I said, "What do you mean?" Now I, I'm an intense guy, and I'm a serious guy. So I said to him, "Well, how long have you been?" Oh well, no! When did you decide you wanted to be intense or serious? He said, "No, no, always. I've always been. Always. I said, always been intense and serious. That's just that's just my personality." And I said but how do you know always were you born like that? He said, I was, Oh, you came out of the womb. Did you get a memo? Like how, how did that, how did you just realize this? And he laughed and he said, uh, well, I probably didn't come out of the womb like that. Ah, so, so when did you decide that you had to be serious? And he took a gasp and he said, I can't answer that question. I said, that's okay. It's okay. That's for a moment. Um, now, of course, he told me how he'd grown up. So his dad was like that, and he kept having this idea that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, and so he had this belief system of that's just me, or that's me because that's my, I'm the son of my father. Mm-hmm. But when he separated the idea that perhaps that's not me, then he started to talk about what we like as a five-year-old. I was a carefree five year old. I didn't care about anything. What were you like out of my bike all day long? And he starts to remember who he was. So it was a it was a lovely moment. And that all happened within about 10 minutes. And getting him to hear himself and bring those memories back to life that were real. Uh, And again, part of that letting go piece but he had a belief system that that's just who he was. He kind of came out off the conveyor belt, all made up. And this was it. <laughs> he came out of the room. And I said to him, how many babies do you know are sitting in the middle of the floor, staring, thinking, I cannot walk, therefore I cannot walk. Uh, not too many. They don't care at all. They're climbing around. And, and he laughed and he said, well, that's with my kids. I said, OK, fair enough. You've answered your own question. So, yes, we have the answer more than we think.
0: Exactly. And it's amazing. I I love that. He had told himself who he he was and he didn't realize (laughs) he had told himself who he was. (laughs) Okay. So I'm going to take us to the beginning now. My first question to you. um, Oh, before I forget, I had made a note of this and you just told the story. So I've got to share it. That moment, that horizon moment, I loved that you said you were earth's astronauts. I thought that was a beautiful way of saying it. Just wonderful. Okay, my first question to you, James, Vivian James Rigney, why did you climb Everest? (laughs) There is a specific you put it to yourself more specifically in the book. You said, why are you here? You had that thought. Why are you here? What was the answer that occurred to you?
1: Are you talking about before I climbed or or as I climbed?
0: Oh, very good.
1: Um I can answer both. why don't we
0: why don't you answer both? I would I love can what, both. what was the what was the intention before the,
1: yeah. the if I answer you know to my to my former self? I wanted to climb it because it was there. It was a seventh. I hadn't done it. I was unsure about doing it. And then I spoke to this guide who previously climbed it. Um, and I'd always come through things in life if I put effort and application to it. So if I worked hard enough, I was I'd always get a return. If I put my effort in, I'd get a return. It might be difficult, it might be excruciatingly challenging, but I knew inside I had a, you know, I was still inside and I would I would achieve an outcome if I focused enough. So that was where I left, where I left forever. What I learned on the mountain on Summit Day was, you know, the book explains in, in great detail, uh, is that I didn't know why I was there. And that was a really painful realization where I'm on Summit Day, a day that should have been, you know, a celebration. And I was approaching the summit and going through obviously huge challenges and huge difficulties to overcome the obstacles and the people and all that and my body and how I was feeling. But realizing at one point, that question, that voice came from within me and it said, why are you here? And I didn't have an answer to that. And it said again, why are you here? And I didn't have an answer. And the moment I heard that voice twice, it was an unfamiliar voice. I said to myself, God, I've never heard that voice. So who's saying that? And it was almost like an unfamiliar part of me. And my brain is going, that part of me has been in there for so long and I'm hearing it not a great place to hear it, right? You got other things to be focused on. And the voice is real, and getting extremely emotional about it. Because the voice further asked me why are you always trying to prove how tough you are, how strong you are, how good you are, how hard you work. And this idea of proving that to myself, because we all feed our egos of who we want ourselves to be, but also proving to others that i was good enough that i was you know worthy enough and all of that and here i am on summit day with these questions in my in my mind and i couldn't escape them and it was a wildly lonely place to be because i didn't know the purpose of why i was there but also it leads to the question so what's the purpose of your life of your legacy and at that point in time it's it's pretty scary because it's a it's a very binary situation. You're either going to come down alive or you're not. And if you're not, no one will no one will no no one will know any of this stuff that's in my head and what I figured out. So I hope it come down. Um, but it also says to you, how do you, how do I want people to remember me? Will it be about how much I achieved? And that would be a very long list of achievements and you know I left Ireland at 19, I live in seven countries, blah, 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 blah. Or will it be how I made them feel? And the answer was really clear. It would be how I made them feel because the achievements last but a shower. it's like but a but a shower. It's like a butterfly it lasts a day and then it's gone and no one remembers. So the meaningfulness associated with with owning that space Uh, and impacting. And the very last line of being in the universe, it's about leaving the world a better place. Um, And again, going back to childhood, coming in with that potential and that brilliance that we all have, uh, and, and really owning that and making it meaningful.
0: Yes. I would love for you to answer me this. When you said that question came to you, why are you here? And you said it it wasn't coming from my mind. It was coming from a different part of me. Where was it coming from?
1: It was coming from a soul. And it was coming from a deeply subconscious place. And uh, it was coming from me not being fulfilled with achievement. And it completely blew up a sense of what I thought achievement was. I thought if I got the seven summits done, I would have accolades. It would make me feel good. I'd be proud of myself that I've achieved that. And it would be very much a transactional. I've worked really hard. I've got a result. I feel good about that. Other people recognize it. they feel good about me. Um, But all that literally uh, fell apart in a moment or a few moments, a few minutes. And I was left naked. And when I was choosing a title for the book, the word naked felt like an an appropriate word. not everyone agreed with that. They thought, oh, that's kind of radical. You should do lonely at the top or, you know, the seven peaks. And I thought, you know, the book is raw and the word has to be raw and and naked best represents. it. so that's what we chose. Yes.
0: Beautiful. Okay. We're going to go into a little bit of more of the practical side of things. Can you give us, now this is a you know, you, this is where you really walk us through step-by-step step in the book. So clearly this is going to be a shortened version that you're going to give us a little bit of a, just a glimpse into, cause everybody needs to buy the book to read it. But can you share a little bit about the literal process of you getting there and what that entails I'll I'll say to you for to get the ball rolling. I did not realize that to climb Everest, you go, you do it in chunks, going up to a certain point and back down again three times before you actually go all the way. So you're essentially, in my mind, climbing it four times. I know you don't go to the yeah. the ultimate three,
1: three, three times in total. Yeah, so it's two. The third rotation, you get up. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Give us a little glimpse into that because with what that's doing to you physically right. and mentally.
1: Yeah. I mean, most people think you climb Everest like a week or two, but Everest, it's actually a two-month expedition. So we leave now. It's now the, you know, we leave kind of at the end of March and you summit at the end of May. And sometimes that slips into June. So it's at least two months, three rotations, so we fly into Kathmandu and we get all our gear and we get our permits and all that good stuff. And then we fly into Lukla, and then we hike in 10 days to get from um, the, you know, the little landing strip at the base of the Himalaya to Everest. So we do that because we need red blood cells. The air is super thin. Um, you know, we would get sick really quickly. So we need to propagate red blood cells. And we do that. We take it day by day and, you know, slowly up through the villages. Beautiful. It's Nepal. It's spectacular. The people are wonderful. The sherpa are looking after us so well and then we get to base camp and that's when the clock starts because that's six weeks in base camp and that's on a glacier with avalanches happening around us it's a very dangerous place. safe in terms of where we are safe ish okay bad things have happened also with avalanches there and earthquakes and things but but safe for us and that's when we start training and practicing and three rotations is we we go up you know for the Kumbu, through the kumbo ice fall very dangerous part of the mountain up to camp one camp two drop equipment bury in the snow um, come all the way back down to base camp and then we go all the way we rest a week recalibrate all the way back up to camp one camp two camp three acclimatize there all the way back down and that's about five weeks or six weeks in at that point i, I lost all my all my muscle had gone I was literally like an x-ray picture, just uh, kind of count, like count my ribs because you're burning, you're not processing food at that height and your body is starting to consume itself. So we went down to the valley a few thousand, probably four or 5,000 feet down the valley and we spent three or four days. It was like a little vacation uh, and we ate and we slept in, in bed like structures. <laughs> so <it> was like <laughs> a Piece of plywood held up by a few bricks, but you know what, it was in a tea house and there was a roof overhead and we had, a. you know, it was, I was like, it was like civilization again. It was fantastic. Uh, cause we were living in tents on the ice up above, uh, spent three or four days there. And it's funny, isn't it? Cause on the mountain, we were busy, busy. We got down there. We're waiting to come back to base camp to now wait for the final rotation. And we're quiet there because we're contemplating what's ahead. There's no more training now. Now it's, the big event. And we come back to base camp, and we open up our laptops, and we get the satellites connected with laptops, and we start reading weather maps. And you can only climb Everest for about four to five days a year, because the jet stream pulls pulls back just before the monsoon. And that's like a little window where the wind dies down and, and humans can climb. And that's what we're waiting for. And everyone's waiting for the same thing. So it's a very waiting game. Uh, everyone's anxious, everyone's in th- everyone's obviously, we want to go, but we're judging and waiting and checking. And it's a really stressful time and yet a quiet time because we're with our thoughts and we're just trying to keep it together until we get the, the green light to go. Uh, and in, our, in most cases, it's not a green light, it's an amber light. We'll go with no guarantees, right? Because the weather could change on a whim. And that's our third rotation from base camp, although it's camp one, camp two, a few days there, camp three, day there, camp four, day there, and hopefully then a summit bid from camp four South Call up to, you know, the top of the world. Uh, and that's where the fun starts because getting to the top of the world is 20%. Getting down in one piece is the other 80 So it's this constant um, um, roller coaster of, of obstacles and thoughts and reflections and, and challenges and things you can control, and things you cannot control, and making peace with that is a massive freedom, um, because that's the type of thing we can use every day. Uh, but in Everest, you, you get to you get you're forced to let go so often, uh, and and your brain wants to control, and uh, you're this little battle of, but I want to control, or I shouldn't be here. This is way too dangerous and so much risk. And yet you have to let go of that inner dialogue, the negative inner dialogue and put one boot in front of the next and trust your team and listen to yourself. And it's, uh, it's, it's quite a, it's quite a journey.
0: And you don't get to stay on top for very long.
1: Right. 15 minutes. That was me. 15 minutes. Yeah.
0: Minutes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what I had in my mind going into reading this book. I thought maybe you'd hang out up there for a week. <laughs> I don't know. You know, just I was so innocent yeah. in, in, in thinking, you know, well, the whole point is to get up there and take all of that in. But then, of course, as you walk us through every step of the way, physically, it's nearly impossible to get up to, to stay there. You really, truly need to be so present and take in what you've just done.
1: Right, and you know when you get to, when I that that line you mentioned about not conquering Everest, people who conquer Everest is about an ego and it's about you know I guess must suppress something. When you get to the top of Everest, every cell in your body is telling you I want to get out of here. This is not a normal place to be. This is not a place where humans should be. It's beautiful. You look at this view, but you just want to get down. You just want to get down and. It's a wonderful. It's a really. I know when people go to space, I hear they just want to be up there forever. That's <laughs> great, but they have oxygen, and they're in this place. It's not a physical place. We're well, on Everest. You're just so cognizant of what it's going to take to get down, right? You're you're just you've you've done the easy part to a degree to get to the top. Getting down is where all of the risk, you know, or most of the risk, is associated with accidents and people's just sheer fatigue, and gravity, and all of the tricky and weather changing. So, you uh, you don't get the chance to let go until until we were at base camp again. That's when I honestly could let go uh, and feel as though I had something to uh, to to celebrate in a in a in a in a normal normal i am so happy kind of way um and that was unusual so it's this ultra marathon think of an ultra marathon that goes on for for two months right is normally done in a day people run 1500 kilometers this one goes on for two months and every day is a feeling of one more step in, in the journey so
0: Something you brought up, and I'm gonna go to a quote here. We were talking about um, what stood out to me was community, because there is just amazing, amazing support and community that ends up happening between you and your your climbing team and your Sherpas. The the my goodness, the Sherpas! I I I the whole time I'm just going, this is unbelievable that this is this is there this is their normal. The fact that like you see, you would say you would get to a base camp and it had already been set up, or they were thinking two, two steps ahead for you and bringing you your oxygen, oxygen, or bringing you more water, you know, and that, I mean, um, I'm starting to get off of this quote, but I've got to share it. There's the one, and I apologize, you'll know who to say, who to talk yeah. about it. Towards the end, specifically who you got when, when everything was really getting heavy for you towards the, towards the summit and you got forehead to forehead with, with one of your main Sherpas. Yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. What was his, Gomba. What was his yeah. name?
1: Gumba. Gumba.
0: Yes. Yes. And, and this is something that they do often. Yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something it's, you know, it's funny, when I go to different parts of the world climbing, you'll go to other countries, wherever and, and kind of Western climbers will, you know, want to kind of organize things. And, you know, this is what we want. Can you do this? Can you do that, please? Um, in Nepal, it's all it's the opposite. So you ask the Sherpa for advice and the Sherpa, they're a mountain people, they are incredible, they are very spiritual, they you know, follow the Buddhist religion, and they're very much at peace with themselves, and very much at peace with nature around them. And when you're in this environment of incredible, stunning nature, extreme nature, and people who are happy, uh, adults who are uh, serious and focused, and yet can laugh like a child, you know, in a heartbeat, and that ability to be the same person the whole time. One story that maybe when I think of what the Sherpa represent, think of this. So we've done our first rotation, second rotation, third rotation. We've got the amber light to go for the summit. We get our gear together. We get up at midnight because we're going to leave at two in the morning to go up through the Ice Fall. It's dark, it's extremely cold. We've researched this for so long, years of planning and thought and here we are we're leaving base camp so it's a significant event um i remember waking up getting my gear on we gather as a team we have our headlamps on we're all anxious and we're excited at the same time and we're there and we're checking everything check 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 we're all busy in our own heads and we're organizing our stuff and then we finally line up and the head Sherpa, Dawa Sherpa, he comes over and they have a little, what they call a chorten. It's like a little altar uh, of blessings. And he goes around the altar three times and he has some juniper there and they light the juniper and the incense. And there's a blessing to, you know, to, to guide us. And and we go around the chorten as well. That's the tradition. It's what we do. And just as we did that, I remember looking over and noticing something to one side of me. And I saw the entire Sherpa team, our ground team, the folks who were cooking for us, who were preparing things for us, who would you know, put their sweat and their toil and their effort into the last six weeks. This is this is, this is two o'clock in the morning now. They are all standing, watching us, and they have their their down jackets on, um, and they are there. And I just I just I. I looked over and it was just, I was overcome by what I saw. These are people who believed in us, people who had taken us in as their family. And it's two in the morning. It is black, total black darkness and they don't need to be there, but they choose, they chose to be there, to be there for us. And they were proud of us and they wanted to give us their presence and their blessings, I'm sure, as we took off into the darkness and started up the mountain. And that moment is seared in my in my memory of what community means, of what being together means, of what family means, of what that sense of empathy in a group, that you can have, it was wonderful. And again, those values of humility, with strength, with uh, authenticity, uh, with care, all of those living together in that moment in the darkness, as I saw their their faces, you know, in the flickering light as our headlamps, it was, uh, it was spectacular. Yeah.
0: You remember what it felt like? When you notice I was
1: I mean I was uh, I was moved and there were tears uh, a lot of tears in my eyes because it was just a, it was a moment where I said I will remember this for the rest of my life uh, like this picture is being seared into my brain I've never felt like this before um, of these people who were so caring of us that they were there at this time of night and what we were embarking on was their pride as much as our own and it was like yeah in a way it was life in its most beautiful and, and simple state um yeah and that's as we left base camp you, know, you think about it, everything is ahead so it was powerful
0: i'm trying to not cry here Vivian. <laughs> Uh, you're, you, a quote I, I often come back to is, um, uh, each of us is a wave in the ocean made of the ocean. And that moment to me feels like such a strong representation of what that physically felt like to experience that spiritual connection between all of us that has nothing to do with our individual thinking mind it's just the oneness of truly of who we are and you could feel that from them
1: yeah just just purity it was it was just purity in it's in its
0: greatest form um yeah wow did it feel like a whole uh you just you know relaying it it makes me, I I honestly feel a surge of energy in myself. Do you remember mm-hmm. if it felt like a well, game?
1: you feel it because I'm feeling it right now. And that's, and I believe energy transfers and you're feeling it because I, I'm feeling it. I can see their faces when I, I can see it right here. Yeah. And so that's a moment. Uh, and that's, and, and, you know, every day, um, I'll tell you story. I came back from Everest, right? And I came to New York city and, you know, I came back in June and the craziness of the place. And I came in and for weeks after I was walking down the street and I had this smile on my face, just a, a presence. And it, it wasn't it was like it was, you know, this pearl white smile or with teeth showing. It was just a sense of presence. And it's funny just because people were reacting to that. People in the street would nod or smile back at me strangers who had no idea who i was or anything but the presence that i had from what i had been through uh it it resonated with people and that's interesting so my point is when we're in that happy place we become a lamp right and when i came back to new york i could see all these moths flying around the lamp and that was me and that's you know most of us in our daily lives you know as we live in new york city we can be in kansas we can be in you know in Jakarta or or dublin um but we tend to be moths because there's just so much to do and so little time i i got stuff to do um and for those weeks people were responding to how i was feeling Uh, and we have an enormous power to impact people on that and i think that's something that. Uh, we we uh, we don't uh, understand enough or appreciate enough. and it's very real. It's very real.
0: Okay, I'm going to go to legacy as our as our next. I'm gonna <laughs> thumb through all of my yeah. hold it. Here it comes. All right. oh man, this is yes, here we go. The exhumation of the corpse at base camp, the week before, I'm quoting you here. Navigating the icefall and facing the edge of death numerous times had formed a heaviness around one aspect of my life that I have never really given any thought to, legacy. And I know we spoke a little bit about this earlier, but I really want to share this this part of the book. The realization that if something happened to me here on this mountain and I didn't return, how I lived my life up to this point would be how people would remember me. The die was already cast. So the questions were, how would they remember me had I lived my life to ensure a good enough answer to this question? My immediate answer honed into what I'd achieved, just as you said before. Then I had a moment of clarity. Would they remember me for how I made them feel? Would they genuinely feel better about themselves because of me and all of my busyness and achievement? I didn't think I had ever thought of these. Share a little bit. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, two weeks since the expedition, I got, um, I got down how about that i'm normally an upbeat person uh, every day and last half full and irish we're always kind of moving on to enjoying life and uh two weeks into the expedition of base camp i got down and i got down you're spending a lot of time in your own obviously in the tent in your tent, probably under 14 hours a day it's a lot of time and i got down because i was starting to understand the gravity of what i was embarking on I don't forget, I didn't read any books about Everest and look at any videos. I just want to handle all that trauma about heights and all the dangerous stuff. I will just, you know, get through it one step at a time. The problem with base camp is you're not doing stuff for a long period of time. So your mind is a lot of time to think about everything. And I got down because I was asking myself, my God, if anything happens to me as I'm, as I'm doing this, you know, what will they, how will people see me back to that question? How will they remember me? And I would remember all the things, all the people that were very good to me, the people that really helped me, the people that were there for me, the people that um, impacted me. And my question was, God, have I thanked all those people do, like, do they know how much impact they had on me? Do they know how much I, I care about them? Do they know how appreciative I am? And the answer was, well, not enough, not enough. Um, and that was spinning me into a place of, well, I'm stuck at this mountain. Nothing I can do from here will change that. So the die is cast. If something happens to me up there, like, whoa, what do I leave behind? And, you know, I left a will back in New York and it was the most the kind of the goofiest will ever it was like I will leave to this charity and that. Da, 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 da. There was no letter. There was there was nothing. It's almost like I didn't want to even con- have a concept of if something happened to me. Um, but at basically camp for that moment. I was thinking something could well happen to me, and people are going to open an envelope, a goofy envelope with a whole bunch of stuff. You leave your wealth to X, Y, and Z. So, you know what was it for? And, and questions that uh, perhaps people feel when they're, you know, later years, when they're seniors. I was 39, faced with this. And there was a movie, and probably not everyone's seen this movie. It's a war movie. It's called, it's a, it's a one of Steven, Steven Spielberg's best movies. And it's called Saving Private Ryan about a bunch of brothers who go off to war. And, uh, you know, and, you know, most of the brothers and three of the four of them are killed in action and there's one left. And they realize this, the war department realizes they send out some, you know, some Tom Hanks and, and grubber troops to, to find this one brother so he can come back to his family. And you know, I remember at the end of the movie, there was one line where, you know, he's in the, you know, the cemetery in France where his colleagues are buried. and his family come over and he's having a moment and he basically just says one, one his only question in his mind was um or a statement was to his family or his wife tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I'm a good person. And it was interesting because it was his whole life he just wanted to know that there was meaningfulness in that, that there was legacy. And for me, it's a great movie and it look it's a it's a it's a war movie. So not everyone likes war movies but you know for that last line was the line and I felt like that man but I wasn't 79 or whatever age he was I was 39 was I a good man have I left have I lived a good life would people remember that um, and going back to that sunrise every day we have an opportunity to reset every day and answer that question. Not ask the question. We ask it, but we can also answer it. The question deserves an answer. Uh, So anyway, that's uh, some things that that, that move me as well, that we can all relate to because it's a powerful movie. But the theme is the same.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Oh, man. Okay, moving right along. Moving right along. You had, you read, uh, you were reading it at somebody else's book. And you said, I'm reading now from your book. There was one line that stood out that I read multiple times to try to understand. And this is you quoting the book you were reading at the time. But at times I wondered if I had not come a long way only to find that what I really sought was something I had left behind. And then you said, the words were powerful, although the meaning was not fully clear to me at that moment. Did you find the meaning?
1: I did. And that was that, um, you know, I, I succumbed to not reading anything about Everest when I was in base camp for for those weeks, because somebody had left on the table a book called, it's a wonderful book called Into Thin Air by John Krakauer about the average exhibition '96. It's a dramatic book. Um, and I made the decision and I said, Well, I'm here now, so there's no backing out. I should probably read the book in case there are a few things that I can learn as I'm going up. So I read the book. And there was this line, uh, the, those those lines, as you described. And that really stopped me on my tracks. Because I was thinking, wow, this is deep. And uh, if he felt this way, uh, I think I'm probably going to be hitting that wall, too. So I knew there's something going to come of this for sure. And then it came through my own language and my own experiences, as I described earlier. So it was a very, very powerful line in that book, which resonated. But I didn't know how it would resonate with me. Until I felt how it resonated with me on Uh some of So, yeah, sometimes we, uh, uh, when the student is ready, the professor appears. And in that case, uh, it appeared at the time of his choosing. My subconscious mind uh, told me what it needed to tell me. Unfortunately, it was the most vulnerable, naked time of my entire existence. <laughs> uh, and that was the time where it felt it said, OK, I got something to share with you. And it was like, out of all the times you're going to do this, can we do this on a beach or somewhere nice? Or <laughs> um, uh, you know, maybe my ego had to be broken down to such a degree that there was nothing left, no protection. And the voice then could be heard. Like there was a channel straight up to the top, you know, open channel, no volume. The volume, the volume, uh, the control. It's broken. <laughs> it's uh, full volume and no escape. And uh, that was my bath of reality. So uh, look, I'm happy I have it. i Had it. Uh, you don't get to choose these things. That's my point. And in many cases of life, we don't get to choose those moments. It's when the tough stuff whacks us. Do we have a moment of clarity, and uh, do we seize it, or do we compartmentalize and push it away? And uh, at that moment, I, I kind of had to seize it because there was no running away. Um, but notice, I wrote the book many years after ever. So, I a lot of my colleagues they wrote books straight after, and great climbing colleagues and wonderful books on the mountain, and their experience. I felt I wasn't ready for the book, and I needed time to for that to marinate and um and that was marinating over many years and i was kicking myself for procrastination vivian should find the time should should you know need to must do all that good stuff and then uh the pandemic hit in march of 2020 uh jesse it was an immediate feeling of it's now it's ready i'm ready it's ready and i opened up the laptop and i started to 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 write those first those first letters and it started to all come together. It's amazing, isn't it? There's the time where we are ready and that was it. So this is the, uh, this is hopefully like a good red wine that it needed those years to have the flavor, the the aroma, the palette uh, and uh, and it arrives. So I was happy with, uh, I was happy with actioning that readiness at the time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. To me, that is that is the language of the soul that you said when it when when the question when i asked you where did that question come from and you said well clearly my soul right and that's you know to me our soul is doing the heavy lifting 24/7 no matter how distracted we are by our minds and i think it's um you know when people ask you know when you know should i leave this should i do this when should i do that i always say you will know right and I think that was that was your moment, right with this book. and I'm so glad you did wait because I think it's i mean i i i uh I have only scratched the surface in sharing what we've in and sharing what's in here, but um, my God. Because it, it is so beautifully thought out in all the, di- all the different directions that you took it. And like you even said, on a practical level, you didn't even have your memory quite right for like six months after you got home, right? Because of all of the lack of oxygen and everything, you said your brain was kind of having to kind yeah. of remember things as time went on. Yeah.
1: And maybe that's also, yes, I think that's, and that's proven to be the case. But I think also just that I, I went through a lot of trauma up there and it took a while for that to unpack itself and come back to you're safe now again and you can do these things you agreed to do and it's you can appreciate everything you have and all that so it's funny how the mind takes time to unpack after a traumatic event um, and we can't force that so it takes it takes the time it needs
0: Yes. Yes. And beyond all of what you were experiencing on the inside, you know, facing all of your different fears, like with heights and, and the, the climate and the circumstances, you also were dealing with the mountain delivering bodies that had been frozen by when they passed away and fell into the crevasses, right? Like you had a couple of different bodies that had been produced, the dead bodies that had been produced while you were, while you were there and getting ready to climb.
1: Yeah, these are people that that had accidents in the 1960s and the, they would have had an accident in the glacier, fall into a crevasse, and, you know, 40 years later, the crevasse was revealing those bodies. I mean, just, you know, and that was a base camp, and that was a really sad time just to comprehend how their families would feel about that. On the one hand, obviously, their families they knew what happened, um, but on the other hand, you um, they have the body which is good right it's good for the family yes and on the other hand all these hands right you imagine them coming out of that glacier um yeah being that person with all those dreams and all those aspirations and you know frozen in time literally and uh, so extremely uh yeah there was base camp was uh was a whole journey on itself we could have just gone to base camp for six weeks and learned just a wild amount about life and, uh, without even going up the mountain. So, yeah.
0: Unbelievable. All right. I have two more questions for you. Mm -hmm. First question is how has this stuck with you? How has, let me ask it more specifically to confront ego. So head on while you were up there, And then to experience such a deep sense of self free of, you know, having your mind clear and experiencing that, um, you know, so viscerally, um, and what's available to you when your mind clears, you know, when you get, when you're just sitting in the seat of your soul without your ego in the way, such a hugely impactful experience. Now you're back in the city, you're back in life. <laughs> what is it like? Do you find yourself getting caught up like every other human being um, and getting into the mental gymnastics of being a human? Or do you find that it's easier to turn, you know, not take the path of the, of the thought storms as they come in?
1: Right. I think um, I'm much more aware of energy level. And if I'm doing something that is costing energy, like it's it's taking my energy and that's okay for me, then I allow that to run. But if it's sucking my energy and draining my energy, my mind is much more aware of observing that and challenging that and saying, whoa, whoa, hang on. Is this good for me? Is it not good for me? And seeing that with others, um, that's that degree of, you know, I've got to a certain degree of self awareness where I can hear myself and ask that question. Is it good for me? Or is it not good for me? Without the ego, right? Because the ego wants to opinion everything just on a on a purest level. And, uh, and there are many people you don't have time ever to find that. people do meditation. People are through their own their own. Many people have been through their own life journeys, and they understand exactly what this means. The question is, can we help others around us in doing this? I'm honored to work with people every day and, and help them see that and uh, let go and, and be lighter and, and find that authentic self and be very effective performers in terms of their jobs and leaders and so forth. Um, going back to that idea that we can do much more than we think we can in terms of influencing others and by default the world uh, on, a, on a, a broader level as opposed to just what's in between these two ears. And that's a, that's a good feeling because there are a lot of people out there who are appreciative of that, thankful of that, and uh, sense that when we when we apply that.
0: Yes. Something that just occurred to me, and I'll just make this a quick little button that I love. I share a lot on this podcast about this. And all throughout the book, you really illustrate the nature of how we work inside. The fact that you could, and you you talk a lot about it, how you could see that you would, and this is really when you're, you know, summiting and when you're really getting into the, the the climb, getting to the top and and the coming back down. But all of these different moments where you could feel you getting, you know, sucked into the dark world of your thinking and all of the ideas and opinions that it had, all the judgment that it had, and how you would have these moments of laughter or connection or your Sherpa connecting with you and asking you questions, reminding you about, you know, move your body, move, you know, you know, try to move your toes or, you know, having the giggle with your tent mate when you would get back into the tent and the lightness that would bring and how immediately you'd be moved out of that dark world. And I just want all of my listeners to know that this book is so uh, thrilling in that way. At least it was for me because, that is so fascinating to me about who we are as humans and how our mind works and how it does go in and out of of these different experiences all the time. And the more we understand that, the more freeing it can be, even when you are in the middle of a dark dark storm inside. And so, thank you for really sharing all of that, all of the um, all of the texture about uh, in that. It's just really moving. So th- yeah
1: thank you yeah i'm I'm happy that I'm happy that that it touches people and moves people and it's merely a reflection of the journey that I went through so on that score, I'm happy that it resonate it resonates with others and and uh and that's what I'm hearing so every time I hear that i feel I feel at peace with that thought so
0: good. One final question, but before I ask you it, can you tell folks how to find you and just keep their their finger on the pulse of you?
1: <laughs> yes. Uh of course I'm on LinkedIn. So, but I have a website. It's www.vivianjamesrigney.com. And on that website, there's uh the book is obviously available there. There's I do some public speaking, keynote speaking, and my work stuff is right out there. So that's a little bit of a catch-all of all the things I do. And and uh how to reach me so right. oh and by the way the book is in uh, in, in in print print version hardback beautiful hardback nice cover yeah. it is an ebook f- version of course and then audiobook so i did a little Everest a few weeks ago i had to go into a studio and read my own book and that is really hard to do i have a lot of empathy for actors and uh, actresses and I go in and having to read it is it is tough but it was a really interesting experience to read my book into a microphone, a studio. So it's on audiobook as well for people who want to, you know, hear the book like a podcast. Go for it. And uh, there's different different ways to enjoy.
0: Oh, that's awesome! I might honestly listen to it again because having it, you know, because it's a different experience you It's get. a very
1: different experience, yeah. And I I'm reading it and I'm I'm there again. So I found myself on the mountain again doing this. It was it was surreal.
0: Yeah, I yeah. bet. Power of the mind, right? You were right there, mm-hmm. right? right there again. My God. Okay. Okay. So come back to the present moment. Here we are right now. You're off the mountain. You're in your office, Vivian. And this is what I ask every single person who comes onto the podcast. So I always get a different answer and you can interpret it however you will, spiritually, mentally, phys- you know, literally, however you want. What moves you?
1: Uh, to feel alive, to feel alive. That's what moves me today. Yeah.
0: Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Do you want to give us a little bit more of what that means? To yeah.
1: You? I, I just think that reset every day, every day to, um, there's two things in life that there's a finite amount of, according to the brain, uh, time. And we all want to turn the clock back, but there is never a turning of the clock back. The clock only moves forward. And every day we have the anesthetic of busyness as day we're missing out on feeling alive. Every day we're in our own heads is a day we're not alive. Every day we're living with an ego or feeling our own self-importance or overdrive or we're getting emotionally pulled in and we're reacting to this and reacting to that social media whatever it may be it's a day we're not we're not here and the clock never stops ticking only goes forward the other thing is uh, energy we have finite amount of energy and when we expend the energy it's gone it it comes back where we recharge but what i realized climbing this mountain is that there's only so much energy and one has to be choiceful around where we use the energy back to what I mentioned earlier, making sure the energy is something that is good for us and obviously society at large. So there's an empathy associated with it, but something that is, and the negative inner dialogue, the inner, the inner parrot that's chirpy, 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 and this, that, and the other. And, you know, worrying about this, um, you know, overthinking that all that consumes energy. And I like to think the most amount of energy we burn our body is our brain, our head. And if we can reduce the noise, re- almost I think with like a volume on a, an old radio, we turn that right down. We have that that sense of peace fills as the noise. And we have that sense of peace we hear ourselves whether it be meditation, yoga, whether we do things where we find that piece or go to a place, it's waiting for us. It's waiting there. It's like above the cloud level, we get a plane, you get above the clouds, the sun is always there every single day. It's waiting and and how we can own that uh, and, and embrace it is feeling alive, at least from my view of
0: the world. Fantastic. Vivian James Rigney, Naked at the Knife Edge, what Everest taught me about leadership and the power of vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for coming on this podcast.
1: More than welcome. And thank you for the great questions. You made me think today. So thank you. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> I need to go <laughs> in a good way, but I, I feel alive. So that's that's a good place to end, Jesse. So thank you for, uh, thank you for for bringing me on. (laughs) You're
0: welcome. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. And we'll talk to you soon. You too. Take care. Good luck. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to what moves you with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at what moves you with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at whatmovesyouwithjessie.com and please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.